You know, telling the truth, being authentic is, uh, believe it or not, part of the American culture. I know you're saying, Todd, not where I work, not last time I checked. Okay, perhaps our culture is moving away from that. But the truth is, no pun intended there, that from our very foundation, we valued the truth. In fact, so much so that we depended upon God when we asked people to tell the truth. For instance, if you go to court and you take the stand to be a witness, they'll ask you to place your hand on a Bible and they will then say to you what? Do you say with me? Do you promise to tell the and nothing but the and then what's the next phrase? So help you. Isn't that funny? When, when people want to find out the truth, who do they appeal to? They say, hey, and God better help you. There's this kind of uh, 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 situation or culture that though we don't like to admit it, we know that if you really want to know the truth, talk to God. Or let God do His work. This, this truthfulness is just something ingrained in us. And no matter how much we fight it as a culture or as a creation... God draws truth out of people, doesn't He? Because He is a truthful God. He is an authentic Creator. You say, Tom, why, why do they ask us to tell the truth so help us God? Now, I'll tell you why. I'm not going to give you a legal reason. We've got some lawyers in our church. I don't know the legal reason. I'll tell you the practical reason. Because as humans, we run from the truth. <laughs> I mean, that's just the human nature. Don't believe me? Jesus said in John chapter 3, Men love darkness rather than light. John 3.18 Because what? Their deeds are evil. So why do men, men run to darkness? They don't want to come to the light. We are inherently, by nature, a deceitful people. Don't believe me still? What did Adam do the first time he sinned and God came calling his name? What did he do? He ran and he hid. Sounds to me like the natural man left alone without God tends to run and hide and be deceitful and pretentious. And by the way, Jeremiah echoed this. He said that the heart above all is deceitfully wicked. Let me just give you a bottom line. Let's don't move to this slide yet, Chris. Let's back up a little bit, okay? Let me just say this about man. Man is inherently without the help of God, and is inherently, by nature, untruthful and deceitful. That's just the way we're made. We run. We hide. But God is the opposite. He is inherently truthful. He is impeccably authentic. Jesus Christ said this, John fourteen six: I am the way, the truth, and the life. Also in Hebrews 6.18, there's an interesting verse. The writer of Hebrews is talking about God and His oath with His people. And he said that, and this is a phrase out of the verse, Hebrews 6.18 says that God who cannot lie. Now listen very carefully, church. That verse does not say God didn't lie. It says that God what? It is impossible for God to be in error. It is an impractical uh, uh uh, idea. It's impossible for God to be wrong on anything because He is truth. He cannot lie. He does not know what it's like to be wrong. 
I like what Psalm 119 verse 160 says. The psalmist there said about the Lord, he says, All your ways are true. And then he mentions this word. He says that your righteous laws are eternal. And if you look through the Scriptures, you find that the word truth and the word right or righteous are often connected. And so, if you take a lot of these concepts about God and these verses about God, you're going to understand, understand this about God's truthfulness very carefully. God's truthful nature is this. It means He is, knows, and does what is always right. The word truth and the word right are really connected in Scripture. God cannot be wrong. He does not respond wrong. He does not act wrong. He isn't wrong. He knows, He is, and He does what is always right. That's God's truthful nature in a nutshell. The New Testament doesn't teach it. And the truth is, we're the opposite. We tend to run and lean towards the wrong way. All we like sheep, Isaiah said, have gone astray. So you have these polar opposites. A truthful God and an untruthful creation. Which is why you can... Understand God's, I use this word correctly here, His righteous anger in Isaiah 58 when He is encountering a very pretentious, untruthful people. Turn there, would you? Isaiah 58. Look how God's truthfulness would set them straight. Look how it displays what He's really after. Isaiah 58, verse 1. I'm going to read this entire chapter and make a few comments. And then we'll just kind of give a few threads about it that I think will apply to today. So listen very carefully. Isaiah 58. He said, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. In other words, because the truth of God matters. He said, Isaiah, you've got to lift up your voice and shout it. You've got to say it loudly. Don't hold the truth back. Here's why, verse 2, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. Notice that they seem eager. As if they were a nation that does what is right. A nation that has not forsaken the commands of its God. Truth is, they had forsaken the commands of God. And they weren't really eager to know God's ways. They were only eager to know God's ways on the surface. Listen very carefully, First Family Church. They were only eager to know God's ways when it benefited them. Let me show you what I'm talking about. End of verse 2. They asked me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. They say, why we fasted and you have not seen it? You see the implication there? Hey God, we're doing what you say. Aren't you noticing us? In the middle of verse 3, why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please. You suddenly understand why they were doing all of their rituals. What, you know why? It was self-centered worship. It was egocentric rituals. And they only did them in hopes that maybe God would see only the outside. He would just see what they were doing in their actions and He would perhaps then do what He should do. It's like James 4. Remember James 4? There was a set of believers in the book of James apparently that were still praying and they were doing the church thing, but they were doing everything for the wrong reason. They were doing it so they could get what they wanted, the Bible says. James 4, you ought to read that chapter. And God said, no wonder you have envy, division, and lust, because you're asking for things that you may consume it upon your lusts. That's the wrong way to approach corporate worship. Let's say that 
Take John, for instance. John says, well, man, that's where I can play the guitar. And that's all I want to do is play the guitar. And if I don't get to play the guitar, I'm not even going to be up there. You know what? That'd be suddenly making this all about what? John's guitar. And guess what? It's not about John's guitar, is it? It's about bringing a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, we love the fact that John's passionate about the guitar. That's awesome. But it's not just about that. Are you with me? And see, this was egocentric, self-centered ritualism. He says in the end of verse 3, You do as you please. You exploit your workers. I love verse 4. You're fasting. It's a spiritual activity. It ends in quarreling and strife. That's odd, isn't it? It should actually lead you to a place of humility. It does the opposite. It leads to striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. That's an awesome verse. And over a thousand preachers who stand in the pulpits of America and say to consumer-driven, unbiblical assemblies, you cannot worship as you do and expect God to hear you. But too many men of the sacred cloth, shall we say, are timid and they're scared of what the wallet says. They won't give. They won't come back. And so we continue to let people worship in ritualistic ways with pretentious hearts and pre just pretending that things are okay and they're really not. And then God doesn't turn a close ear to us. That's one thing I love about our, our corporate gathering. Marty's exactly right. It is just us. We make no bones about being the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not trying to placate anybody or pacify some group. Or We just want to teach the Word of God and worship the Lord in spirit and truth. When a church finally agrees to do that, when they see God smile as the ultimate approval, He will hear. I like what the end of verse 4 and 5 begins to say. It says, verse 5, Is this the kind of fast I've chosen only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? No, God says here, Here's the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? It's interesting. God says that when real worship takes place, it has a horizontal effect, doesn't it? When we're right this way, things will happen this way. In fact, verse 9 begins to show, verse 8 says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Here he speaks of his response to us. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here am I. When does all this happen? When our worship is not ritualistic, but authentic. Listen very carefully. Some things mentioned here are the words fasting, and then later on in the chapter are the words Sabbath. And those were requirements in the Jewish system of worship. Okay, listen very carefully. There was only one day of fasting actually required in the Jewish law. It was the Day of Atonement. And on that day, you wore to fast. Later on, I think as they rebuilt the temple, they added some days in there of their own accord. But according to the law, there was only one required day of fasting. And of course, you know, there was one required day of rest. It was a Sabbath. These were things that God looked at in their form of worship as required in that day. Now listen very carefully. God wasn't trying to eliminate those forms in their time. He was just trying to get them to do what He asked them to do in the right way. And it lets you know where God's heart is. 
God is much more concerned about why you do what you do than perhaps what you do. Can I say that again? I'm not speaking of clear moral boundaries. I'm not talking in those areas. I'm talking about in areas of of our worship and in obeying God. He is much more concerned with why you do what you do than perhaps what you do. And he's saying here, the way you observe your fasting is not the right way. It's not a worshipful, authentic manner. He goes on talking about in the last part of the chapter, verses 13 and 14, about how they kept the Sabbath. And he says here, you know, if you'll keep the Sabbath in the right way from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord is spoken. You see what's happening in this, in this chapter, folks? What God is saying here is this, that there is a, an authentic way to obey the Lord. And when we don't obey Him authentically, in other words, from a heart that's right, when we obey Him pretentiously, ritualistically, it really has no effect. As I read this chapter, I could not help but think about how many people are living out in Isaiah 58 in 2008. We go through our Sunday rituals. I'm going to say some things that will probably make you a little upset, so just get ready. We park in the same place, sit in the same area, meet the same people, get the same donut, leave the same time, eat the same place. It's like just any other day. In fact, since you love in the summer, because then we can go to the early service and get it out of the way so we can have the rest of our day to ourselves. I told you to get a little tense in here. I mean, hey God, I just appreciate the fact that I can just kind of get it over with. It makes me wonder if we're not any different. Oh, the Sabbath and fasting aren't required. You're right. But in obeying the verse from John 4 that we worship in spirit and truth, is that really the posture of our heart? Or are we just going through the motions? As the clock inches closer to 1130, 11.40, you're like, man, I wish you'd get done. I've got plans. Granted, that's probably an honest comment at times if I was really late. But sometimes we just need to be honest with ourselves. We're really not worshiping in spirit and in truth sometimes. Our comments and our actions and our, the way we, we treat this situation sometimes mirrors more like Isaiah 58 than we want to admit, doesn't it? I call you today to a new level of authenticity in your worship. To a new level of honesty and sincerity before God, who already knows everything anyway. Amen? After all, you're not hiding anything from the Almighty. Neither am I. You know, a couple of threads in this chapter I want to mention to you just briefly. I've just kind of talked about them already. Let me just kind of mention them again. That's a way to help you write some things down and take some notes. I see a couple of things. God's, God really desires authenticity and truthfulness in our worship of Him. That's, that's a clear from this chapter. He wants truthfulness, authenticity in how we worship Him. He also desires authenticity and truthfulness in our service to others. A couple of really key threads here in this chapter. 
And you can't help but notice how they weave in and out of each other. One affects the other. And there's a certain order to those, amen? In fact, when I look at these two threads, that God desires authenticity, honesty, truthfulness, vertically and horizontally, it makes me think of the first and greatest commandments. They are what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart. Amen? The vertical relationship. And then do what? Love your neighbors yourself. Horizontal. In fact, you could draw two arrows to sum up Isaiah 58. God desires authenticity vertically. And God desires truthfulness or authenticity horizontally. In how we treat people and how we relate to Him. That's the whole of the law, by the way. That's what Jesus said. To love God and love man. When truth enters both of those relationships, listen very carefully first time, when truth, when God's desire for authenticity, His love for truth, the right thing, when that enters both of those relationships, I'm going to tell you what happens. The end result will be freedom. John 8.32 You will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. But I'm going to tell you something. Listen very carefully. That truth, I believe, is an eventual result. When you know truth, you find freedom. I think before truth is freeing, usually truth is frightening. In fact, read John 8. I'm not making this up. The context of John 8 is such that even while he's speaking those words, saying, you'll know the truth will set you free, he's speaking in a hostile environment. He's bringing truth into a very tense situation. And they didn't like it. They said, you're not from God. We're Abraham's seed. And they were rejecting him. And you know what? They never really were free, were they? I say like this a lot of times. Truth does bring freedom eventually, but it usually brings tension initially. And now right now, some wife is poking her husband somewhere. Or vice versa. Or a child. Because you've spoken truth at times, and you knew it would hit the fan funny for a few hours. <laughs> for a few days. You're like, man, I don't want to say this, but you knew to get to, let's say, B over here, you had to get through A. And A was going to be rough and tough. See, guys, truth is freeing, but it's also frightening. But here's, here's the dilemma. Do you then live in fear all of your life, or do you take the risk of authenticity and get through the fear so that you can enjoy the freedom? I say get through the fear and enjoy the freedom. Amen? And authenticity is well worth the risk. The trap of pretense is damning. You live with the elephant in the room forever. No one ever talks about it. The truth is like this big glaring object that everyone sees but no one will admit. How much better to, to be an authentic believer to God and to others and enjoy the freedom found in the truth. It reminds me of, uh, of what's going on in the upstairs of our house right now. We replaced a couple of closets. We took them out. And we took this room that we had and we turned it into two closets. And it was a good move. It was a great decision. Um, We lost a bedroom officially. But the truth is, that wasn't even a bedroom. It's been a closet for like ten years. We finally told ourselves the truth. One day I said, honey, uh, can you go up to that third bedroom upstairs? She goes, it's a closet. And I'm like, you're right. It is a closet. We just need to finally make it into a closet. And we talked. And so we did. We turned that bedroom into a closet and we're using it for what it really works for. 
Well, in the course of that, we took two closets out of our rooms, out of a couple of kids' rooms. Anyway, we had to replace some flooring. And so uh, I'm not very good with stuff like replacing walls or closets or anything like that. And so we had someone come up with a lot of this stuff, and he replaced the slats. There was like three, uh, it was wood flooring up there, and so he, he replaced the flooring where all the closets were. He took out the old stuff, and he, he had it looking great. It was raw wood, you know, all oak. But it was just raw. And so here he had this golden oak on, the, on each side of it and these, these three or four planks of raw wood. And you can see it was definitely different. And so he said, do you want me to stain that for you? I'm thinking, wow, staining takes a while. Matching up takes a while. I'm thinking, ching, ching, that's okay. I'll stain it, you know. So um, I went. We got colors that match. Y'all didn't get that joke, did you? It's okay. You'll get it when you go home. It's called budget. So anyway, we, we got some stain. And so we, this last week we were going to work on that. And I thought it was going to match up perfectly. You know, the guys at the store, they can match everything. But, man, you ever get home, it's like changes colors. So I get the stain on. And I think it's looking pretty good. And I put another coat, and I'm rubbing it, I'm sanding it. Then I'm kind of glossing it. I'm making it clear. Make a long story short, we, we get to the end. and It's early evening. The lights, uh, the blinds are closed. The sun is set. And this floor looks awesome. I'm puffing up with pride because, you know, Todd can hardly drive an L straight. I've got some really matching floors. You can't even see where the closets used to be. The next morning, we get up and we open the blinds. Sun pours through a beautiful day and I'm like, who changed the wood in this room? Man, the sunlight changed the way it really looked. So I'm... I'm I'm on this side where the window kind of comes in, and then over here by the door, it's not quite as much light. I'm like, man, this this part of the floor looks good still, and this. And I begin to realize that the light told the truth. Are you with me? Now I'm gonna do my best to get that fixed, but fortunately, fixing a floor is not gonna determine my spiritual status or eternal destiny. Amen. What if what if I did this? What if I said, oh my goodness, I didn't realize the light told me the truth. So I close the blinds and I buy some darkening film and I put it on there and I actually board up the outside so that way Judy will never find out. So we're downstairs in the kitchen one day, let's say, and she goes, oh, I need to run upstairs. Oh, no, me first. I'm running upstairs. I'm making sure she never finds out a year and two and five. Can you imagine ten years of making sure Julie never finds out about the floor? That wears me out thinking about that. People live that way, you know. They have this flooring they're trying to hide. And so they run from the light. They board up their life. They get special darkeners. They buy film that no one can see through. And for years, they make sure no one ever knows what's really going on. And they wonder why in five and ten years they're worn out. Because duplicity and pretense will do exactly that. It will damn you. It will wear you out physically and spiritually. How much better... To open the blinds and say, you know what? We've got an issue with the floor. And then together say, somebody want to help me kind of fix this? We work on it. You see, with flooring it may not matter, but when it comes to your spiritual life, your relationships, you can't afford to board up the windows of your life. You cannot afford to close the blinds and pretend that everything is okay. Too much is at stake. And, the, and God looks for authenticity. The ability to understand and say, God, you tell the truth, so I'm going to get on your page. That's what God's looking for. In fact, let's, let me just kind of even make this as plain as I can. It's really not 
your sin or the issue that God's worried about. Did you know that? Whatever the quote-unquote flooring issue is, that's not what God's worried about. I'll let you bristle from that a little bit and then I'll make my next comment. It's your attitude about it that God is most concerned about. You don't believe me? 1 John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Don't you love the word truth there? Now, Now God knows you have sin. He's God. He made you. So is sin the issue? No. In fact, He dealt with all sin, didn't He? Where did He deal with all sin? On the cross. The real centerpiece of our worship. What we do every week, we praise the Lord for the cross. It's how our sin is dealt with. So why are we afraid to bring our sin to God? Like the video said, why are we afraid to bring these things? All we're asking is you don't pretend. It's pretense that God is really distressed about. I use that word in the the right kind of way. Not that God gets distressed, but you know, in, in a personification way. That's what bothers Him and angers Him. Your sin really isn't a problem to God. His grace is big enough to handle your sin. Amen. But it's your attitude about it that He's most concerned about. That's why authenticity matters so much to God. The ability to open the blinds and let God's truth expose us and then change us. That's what God desires to do. He desires to do that in an arena like this every single week. Did you know that? That's why when we gather, we don't want it to be a ritualistic performance. Now, there are certain schedules we have in place. I agree with that. But there's freedom within our services. There's, there's opportunities to think and reflect and to consider to talk to people. We do a number of different things on different weeks for the purpose of, of creating and helping you understand the value of authenticity. I heard someone say to recent newcomers, you know, Todd, it's really different at First Family. I never know what to expect. Now, I heard someone else say one time, it's pretty routine. So there's, different, there's a level on that, I mean, a spectrum on that. But here's what they were saying. That, you know what, there are times we pray together as a church, that we have baby dedications, we'll share, Marty will either read some scripture, he'll ask to do something, or we'll have a response time. He said, you know, I understand that there are times that, that you're calling on us to respond to God in an authentic, honest way. And they said, we really appreciate that. Amen? I want you to know something. We will do all we can to help you pursue an authentic lifestyle. That means at times, you may not like everything that, that happens. you know that? You may not like the fact that we call upon our church to be honest and truthful in in their understanding of who God is and how He relates to us. But only when we understand truth can we really ever find freedom. It is tense at first. The light exposes the floor issues. But how much better to say, wow, now I know what God's dealing with and then make progress in that. And how cool it is when you can put your hands out to people around you who will partner up with you in addressing your Floor issues. Amen? In fact, that's really the action point for today. And I want to encourage you to adopt a mindset that's opposite of Isaiah 58. See, here they were being unauthentic. They kept going through the motions of fasting and the Sabbath keeping without any regards to their heart. I'm asking you to take the opposite approach. In fact, because you know that God is and does what is always right. You know, He's truthful. 
I want you to be free not to hide what is wrong. Are you with me? In other words, no one's forcing you into a corner. No one's saying, you'd better tell the truth or else. I mean, the truth is, it's to your advantage to be authentic with the Lord. He already knows anyway. So why not get with Him as quick as possible and enjoy the freedom of not hiding what He already knows is going on. Are you with me? So that's our action point. Be free not to hide what is wrong. Because God is a truthful God. He is truth. He knows truth. He does truth. He, he, he just uh, He's right. So the sooner you get with God on that issue, the better off you're going to be. Here's another way to word it. Because He is impeccably truthful, I will be freely authentic. Amen? There's something about knowing that, that God's got it handled that enables you just to, to be authentic in you. And to relate to God in a truthful, authentic way.